0: So, um, again, I went out on the Google, right, and I searched, like, strange phobias. And these are big words that I'm going to have a tough time pronouncing for you, but I think you're going to appreciate some of these. The first word will come up on the screen, arachibutrophobia. That is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. I don't know if I have that one. This next one is legit, though. Nomophobia. It's the fear of being without your mobile phone. Can you relate to that? Like, if you don't know where your phone is, you're like, oh, no, where'd I put my phone? Where'd I put my phone? And it's, maybe you're on it sometimes. I've actually looked for my phone while I was on it. And this is le- re- really true. I experienced nomophobia when we took Chase, our oldest, to go to, to college after her uh, senior year of high school. And we got all the way to about halfway to DIA before I realized I forgot my phone. And so, I was, nomophobia kicked in because I was like, I want to take pictures. I want to be able to text, etc. And so, we turned around, went and got the phone, and we made it by the skin of our teeth on time on the plane. I wasn't a popular guy in the car that day. How about this one? Arithma Arithmophobia. I have this one, too. The fear of numbers. It's, uh, I, I think, go back to ninth grade algebra. I had arithmophobia for sure. And then this next this next one's kind of funny. Plutophobia. And that's the fear of money. Anybody got a fear of money? I guess that could be healthy, you know, the way Jesus talked about money and stuff like that. It could, could be helpful. And then... Here's one you don't want to have, and it's a blutophobia, the fear of bathing. <laughs> I think our teenage boys maybe have a blutophobia. And then there's globophobia, that's the fear of balloons. <laughs> maybe it's the sound. Okay, this next one, you can put it up on the screen. Check this word out. I'm going to attempt this. HIPPO, poto, equipped de la How'd I do? This one's going to crack you up, because it's the fear of long words.) <laughs> <laughs> and the last one's quite funny, too. Hopefully no one has those because I'm just teasing. Um, phobophobia. That's the fear of phobias. That was just straight up right there. Well, we're in a a series called Whosoever Believes, and what we're doing is over the summer and into the fall is we're kind of surveying or getting the the big-picture message from each of the letters that were written in the New Testament, from Romans to Revelation. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote… 13 that we know of for sure of the New Testament letters. And what we've been doing is look given a context of, of the, the letter itself, the audience, what were they writing about, and then trying to lift out maybe like the, the meat or what, what the, the author of the book was really trying to uh, get across and how do we benefit from it today. Today is 2 Timothy. And Timothy, as we learned last week, was Paul's son in the faith. First uh, and second Timothy and Titus, we call the pastoral epistles because they're personal letters from Paul to one person, Timothy and one person to Titus. And these guys were young pastors. These guys were, were people that Paul equipped and discipled. And Timothy is real close with Paul. And I think when you read a lot, the first and second Timothy, you get this tone that maybe Timothy was a little bit uh, introverted and maybe a little bit fearful or had some, some struggles, maybe some self-doubt as a leader, which, you know, sometimes that's actually very healthy, can be, and you stay humble. But, you know, I think he's a, a, a statement of, we've heard this before, God doesn't call the equipped he equips the called, and I think that was Timothy, like, and that's all of us. Maybe today you're wondering, like, you feel this sense of calling in your life, but you're like, man, I don't feel equipped to do that. Well, God does the equipping. We participate with Him, but He ultimately does the equipping. So, I've titled today's message, Resisting Fear, as we were singing about. Um, made me think of when the kids were, were little, littler maybe elementary school, pre-middle school. We used to, my day off was Friday, and we would go down to Elitches, and we would usually play in the, the water park first, and then we would ride rides in the afternoon. And I hate roller coasters. Who hates roller coasters? Two of us. So we're probably not doing an outing to Elitches. But um, I hate that feeling of being out of control. Right, that feeling like up and down and around. And so, but each season that we would get an Elitch pass, I decided I'm gonna overcome a fear of some sort. I'm gonna ride a ride that that scares me. And so we got on the roller coaster this one day, and it got us tucked in. My heart's going. Doo, 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 doo. And we get in and they buckle us in, and you know that. Doo, doo, doo. off to the races and I just tucked in in the fetal position and closed my eyes as tight as I could and I rode the whole ride like that and when we got off the ride that you know how they take pictures at like the peak of all you could see is me like this with my head and and the the kids are like they're they're smiling and they're have their hands up and I'm like yep I did it though Paul, t- Paul tells Timothy in chapter, 2 Timothy 1.7, he says, For God has not given us a, spe- a spirit of timidity, that's fear, but of power and love and discipline, or a sound mind as some translations say. Do you know that in the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, there are 365 times God says to fear not, or to not be afraid, don't be afraid. There's one for every day of the year to not fear. God does not want, has not given us a spirit of fear. He wants us to learn how to resist fear. And I think in this, this uh, we have to learn to let Jesus answer our fears. Um, when it comes to understanding fear, there's the fear of the Lord, and that's a good fear. But it's not a cowering down fear, it is a standing in awe of who God is. And it's actually the fear of the Lord is a healthy respect for God's definition of what's right and wrong, what's good and evil. We let Him, our Creator, not on our own, but we let Him dictate that to us and we learn how to live from Him. Oswald Chambers said, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest, he said, they who fear the Lord Fear no one or nothing else. When you fear the Lord, you don't have to fear anything else. So 2 Timothy has four chapters. And as I was meditating on this this letter this week, it, it hit me that there are four things that we are to resist that bring fear into each one of our lives, that this book gives us the answer on how to resist it. And the first one is resisting the fear of death. Resisting the fear of death. Life is short. It's fragile. We have experienced that in our own church family recently. Life's short. It's fragile. And knowing that all of our lives have an expiration date. There's a day that one day our bodies are not going to work anymore. And we're going to pass through that curtain of death into eternity. Death was not part of God's original plan in the garden. He did tell Adam and Eve, he said, listen, you can have any of these trees, eat whatever you want, but if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. And they ate. They were were duped by by the serpent to eat, and that's when death entered into humanity's world. And the Apostle Paul says that that through Adam, death came in to all people, came for all people. When I think of the life of Jesus and the finished work of Jesus, His life, His death, and His resurrection, Paul goes on to say, he says, though all die in Adam, all will be made alive in Christ. And he says that in several of his his letters, and it made me think of this illustration. Here's my Rocky sock. And how many know they can represent the fall pretty good, right, this, especially this this season? So, when Adam and Eve in the garden, everything was, was right side out. When they fell, when they sinned, when they ate what they weren't supposed to, they just turned humanity's purpose and everything inside and out, how we relate to God and, and one another. Well, in God's perfect timing, God sent His Son to come into this sock of humanity. <laughs> <Sorry>. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, He came into this world in the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas, as one of us. He wasn't a superhero. He, he wasn't, you know, mythology or any of that. He was exactly like you and I, in human flesh, in a fallen human world, through His perfect life, through His submission to death on the cross, and then His resurrection, He turned it back right. And that's each one of us are learning how to live in the life of Jesus and what He's already done for us. Learning how to do that, we can resist the fear of death by understanding His promises. Here's what Paul says, God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Listen to this, who abolished death. To abolish something is to put an end to it, to do away with it, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to protect what I have entrusted to him until that day. If he abolished death, conquered death, why do I still fear it? Why do we still fear it? I think it's the reality that our faith has not been made perfect yet. We haven't seen what He's seen. We haven't seen what those who have gone on in the Lord have seen and are experiencing right now. We're in that waiting waiting room. <laughs> and, but the, the, the Scripture says that no eye has seen no ear is heard, no mind has ever conceived what God has prepared for us. It's amazing. We haven't seen it. So, we still have this little little fear of missing out is probably the reason a lot of us are, might want to put off our death as long as possible, right? And we do everything we can to try to put that day off, and yet we're told that we're going to enter into eternal bliss with the Lord, but fear of missing out is legit. I want to see my little Jolene grow up. I want to see my kids, you know, have kids and time with my wife. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Young people in this room, sometimes when people talk about the end of days or Jesus's return, you're like, yeah, can he put that off until I live my life just a little bit and and get married myself? You know what? He understands that. He understands our humanity in that. But if we could see what he sees and know what he knows, that's how we resist death. So resist death, the fear of death, if you struggle with that, by meditating on Jesus' promises. He said that he was the resurrection and the life, that whoever believes in him, though they die, they live. What a beautiful promise. I'm banking on that. Who's with me? I am banking on that promise. All right, the second fear to resist is resist the fear of persecution. We see this in chapter 2. Jesus told his disciples, he said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Well, who's the they? Well, the they is those that are in opposition to the way of Jesus. Jesus' way of life is that of humility and self-denial and forgiveness. The, the, the way of they is power and money and success and all the things that were sold all our lives are what to give our lives meaning and happiness. And Jesus says, no, that's not your purpose in life but there are people who oppose the kingdom of God. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God are are polar opposites of each other. Now, what they were experiencing in the early church under Emperor Nero of the Roman Empire was great persecution. He would, um, you know, they would burn Christians as human torches along the streets of Rome. He actually had Rome set on fire and then blame the Christians so that the people would turn upon the Christians because he didn't want to hear about this new king and another kingdom. He thought he was the greatest thing ever in his kingdom that he was building. It's in opposition to the way of Jesus. The apostle Paul, who's writing this letter, before he was transformed by Jesus, he persecuted the early church. We read that in the book of Acts. He actually had Christians killed. Christians killed. And and in Acts chapter 9, he's on his way, um, on the road to Damascus to go round up more Christians. And Jesus appears to him. And his name then was Saul. And he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Jesus is identifying with his, his the people who follow him. He's identifying with the believers you're persecuting me. When you persecute my believers, you're persecuting me. And he transformed Saul. And Saul went from being this religious terrorist who thought he was doing Yahweh, the God of Israel, a favor into his mouthpiece of the gospel of love and of hope. And it, it revealed to him that the way he viewed God was wrong. And that he needed to view God through who Jesus is and how Jesus revealed the Father. And I think Paul struggled all of his time in ministry with that memory that of what he did. And and we see it in some of his, his writings. Here's what he said: Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the Word of God is not imprisoned. For the reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, with, with it eternal glory. Indeed, all who want to live in a godly way in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." persecution opposition to your faith opposition to the way of Jesus comes from many different angles it can come from family it can come from the workplace it can come from other christians when we don't all believe exactly the same way we tend to, to eat our own sometime within the church denominations per- persecuting denominations because you don't believe exactly like us that's not the way of Jesus Jesus is not a denomination. He's a person. He's the living, risen Messiah, who everybody who names the name of Jesus, that's the starting point. And yet we've seen it throughout church history. The Reformation was uh, a time in the late 1400s. I'm going to give you a quick church history lesson, but I think you're going to appreciate this. And from the time of the Ascension of Jesus to about 350 AD you had the early church and they just walked in the way of Jesus it was a very pure time of people were really attracted to this way of life that the Christians live and this gospel that was that was preached and when emperor Constantine of the Roman Empire in about 350 400 AD said that that Christianity was going to be adopted as the the religion of the Roman Empire, in comes what we call the Catholic Church. And Catholic, the word Catholic means universal, you know, worldwide. So it's a it's a good word in itself, meaning all believers. But truthfully, through the years of Constantine until the Reformation and through the medieval times, it, it got very Christianity got very much expressed in a Roman way. It got Romanized. And a man named Martin Luther and a man named John Calvin and a man named John Knox were three integral men that God called to bring about the, Refor- the Protestant Reformation. And when you think about Christianity, there's three strands of Christianity today. You have the Roman, Roman Catholics. You have the Eastern Orthodox, who many people in the West forget but the Eastern Orthodox broke off from the Roman Catholic Church in 1035 A.D. over one word in one of the creeds. And then the Protestant, you have the Protestant movement, which in itself, the word Protestant means to protest. They were protesting the, the, the abuses of what they saw in the Catholic Church. And that 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 The pope wasn't infallible, and the common man could have the scriptures, and most importantly, that we are justified before God not through our good works, but by grace through faith alone. And so we have the the reformation that ushered in Protestant. Well, I've been to Scotland about six or seven times, and in a town called St. Andrews, where, thank the good Lord, the game of golf was invented, And just outside the old course in St. Andrews, there is this old cobblestone road that's still there from the time of the Reformation. You look across the street, they still have these tunnels that the Catholics would dig one way and the Protestants were digging the other and there's underground stuff going on. But in that cobblestone, there's this big X that's still there from the time of the Reformation. And the Catholics... Uh, burned at the stake, one of the reformers, for preaching that you're saved by grace through faith alone. And he was burned for, sa- not, for not recounting that. Think about that. That's what I'm doing right now, grace through faith alone. And there are people in the world, in churches, and in nations where this is illegal to, to what we're doing here. There are places in the world where they have to sneak around or go underground to worship Jesus. That's still happening in the world. We don't get it because sometimes we think if Starbucks puts Happy Holidays rather than Merry Christmas on on your Starbucks that somehow we're being persecuted. No, that's not persecution. Pray for the persecuted church. It's legit. Pray for those that are in chains because of, of the gospel. If you feel persecuted, how do you resist the fear of being persecuted? Because no one wants to feel that, that feeling. And yet, the early disciples in the book of Acts counted it an honor to get whipped and beat for the name of Jesus. I don't know if I'm there, just to be honest with you, but I think He'll give grace if that day ever came. It, things could change. It's happened throughout history in many, many nations and places. How do you resist the fear of persecution? Love. Love your enemies. You, you love those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you, Jesus said. When he was on the cross and they were hurling insults at him and they had, they had tortured him, what'd he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You resist persecution through the way of Jesus the way He did it, not by picking up the sword or, or arms or anything like that, but by loving your enemies and trusting Him. And when you speak the truth, you speak it in love. It might cause some persecution back on you. It might not be easy, but we're, we are to speak the truth in love. Okay, the third thing, resist the fear of the last days. From about 500 A.D. till now, there's been hundreds of people who have predicted the day of Jesus' return. And if ever you hear somebody say, the day and time that that's going to happen, you know that's not the day and time. Because in Jesus' own words, He said, no man knows the hour in which the Son of Man is going to appear again. I think Christians, especially evangelical Christians in the West, we have a hysteria with the last days. It it makes people unproductive because you're so worried about the the future. Are we in the last days? And we've seen things over the years, plagues and disasters and wars and the rise of people like Hitler, he must be the antichrist and, and so forth. covid well, I remember Y2K. Remember when it was going to go from 1999 to 2000, the world was going to shut down and Jesus was going to return because the internet broke. And like, I don't see a scripture where the internet breaking is the, the, the call of Jesus from his father to return to the earth. America is not God's timepiece. He doesn't look at us in the West and, and, and think, well, whatever they're doing, that, that's the time you go, son. Resist the fear of the hysteria. There's too many movies and books about craziness that that cause fear in believers. He says this. This is a long paragraph here. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, slanderers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness although they have denied its power. Avoid such people as these. But evil people and imposters will proceed from bad to worse." deceiving and, and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuking, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. That kind of seems like today to me. Doesn't it you? Hasn't it maybe kind of always been that way? What's going on here? Well, I think when you, you think of the last days, you've got to think of it in two ways. The last days started when Jesus ascended back to His Father. We've been living in the last days for 2,000 years, awaiting His return. But also, practically speaking, the last days are also the actual days closest to His return. So, we're in the last days. Are we in the actual last days before He returns? Here's a scripture, if you're taking notes, to write down. Matthew 24, 14, you can hang your hat on this scripture about the last days and the return of Jesus. He said, this gospel about him would be preached throughout the whole world to every tribe, tongue, and nation. He said, then the end will come. We're not there yet. There's still 10 to 15,000 people groups in the world, unreached people groups, who have never heard the name of Jesus or the gospel and why they exist and that they have a creator who loves them. But in the last 20 to 30 years, there's been huge progress by missionaries going throughout the world where that number in the last 20, 30 years got cut in half. So it's moving. But until that last person, that last tribe, that last nation hears the good news about Jesus, we just keep staying faithful. That's our job, is just to keep staying faithful, to to be the the people he's called us to be, and to love one another, love our neighbor as ourself, and give our whole life to Jesus. Let, Let him permeate every part of our life. So how do we resist the fear of the last days? And you know what I mean when I say that, right? Because of the hysteria. It's, ah, it's, we're going to have to go through this or, or that. Well, sometimes people will ask me, like, what's your end times position, pre, post, or mid? And I'm like, I'm going to be readiest. I just want to be ready. Because the reality is, I'm going to die and be face-to-face with Jesus, you know, I don't know how many years I got left. So I want to be ready for that day. I want to be found Faithful. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to be faithful to my wife. I want to be faithful to my, my kids and my grandkids. I want to be faithful to you. That's what I want to be faithful. And that's, that's for us. That's being ready. Because he could come back today. And I say, please, Lord, come today. Because what he has in his kingdom ready for us is better than anything we can experience in this life. Life can be great, but what's to come is so much better. So, how do we resist the fear of the last days? Stay alert. Stay alert. Stay awake. Don't get lulled to sleep by culture or the world around you or the mundaneness that sometimes life can be. Stay alert. Stay awake. Whether these are the actual last days or not, let's not contribute to that list that I I just read from Paul. Let's not contribute to that. Let's be the antithesis of that because Jesus is the antithesis of those words. And then I think the encouragement here is also stay in the Word. He tells him after all of that, stay in the Word. It will teach you and train you and correct you. We don't have to fear the last days because the last days are going to usher in the best that's yet to come. How many know that's good news? All right, the fourth one, I got to wet my whistle here, a lot of talking. The last one, resist the fear of uncertainty. This one might be my worst, my struggle the most of, of uncertain things, things that are out of my control. I'm sure somebody relates to me here. You know, those what if questions, what if I got cancer? What if there's not enough money? What if this happens or that happens? And it's all those trying to control the future, which we don't control the future. But you want good news? We know the one who does control the future. His name is Jesus. And he's good, and he wants what's best for us. He's got your best interest at heart all the time, no matter what circumstances you're going through. Your faith in Jesus doesn't rest upon circumstances. It's important. So how do we resist uncertainty? This hit me when I was writing this. I think this is really good. Resist uncertainty with what you're certain of. Resist uncertainty with what you're certain of. What are we certain about? Well, I'm certain and convinced that Jesus defeated our enemies that he took my sin to the cross and nailed it there, that he abolished death by his death and then his resurrection. So he defeated sin, he defeated death, and he defeated the evil one by his work that he did in his life, death, and resurrection. He did for me and for you what we could never do for ourselves, that's good news. Remember Paul's writing from prison He's in a cold Roman prison awaiting execution. It was uncertain what was about to happen to the Apostle Paul. And yet he was certain of who Jesus was and what Jesus did for him. Listen to what he writes For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future, here's what he's certain of, in the future, there's reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's how Paul handled uncertainty. I'm certain of this. I'll tell you that I hate driving in the mountains. I hate flying on airplanes for the most part. Like I've said before, I've seen the beginning of loss too many times. And every time I get on a plane, I I touch the plane, and I say, Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. Though I die because I believe, I will live. I'm taking my fear of uncertainty and making sure I know what I'm certain of. We can all make that a practice. So, Paul's in this prison awaiting execution. I'm about to show you a a movie clip from a movie called Paul, the Apostle of Christ. Jim Caviezel uh, made this movie, and he he stars as Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts, and he was Paul's companion in ministry. And the movie is really about the underground church and Christians and the persecution of Paul and Christians in Rome. It's a really good movie. And I'm going to show you the end of the movie. If you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, but you still can watch it. But it's, it's what happens to Paul. And it, I find it really encouraging to see how Paul faced uncertainty with what he was certain of. Check this out.
1: Timothy my dear son grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead descended from David Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the Gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Grace be with you all.
0: I forgot to kind of set it up a little bit those when he got killed and woke up in heaven the people who were coming to him were the people that he persecuted before and they greeted him with love and an embrace and then he he sees Jesus so I don't know what that's like when you cross over but it's going to be awesome because we're going to see Jesus face to face we're going to take communion together and before we take communion, we're going to sing and grab the elements. Just want to let you know that there's a lot of folks who would like to take communion every week. We do it the first Sunday of the month. And thank you, Ms. Sheila, for making our communion bread. She gets a lot of joy out of that. And, um, but people want to take communion like before or after service. Back in the back corner, there's a table now. And the other three Sundays that we're not doing it together. If you want to take communion, it will be provided for you back there, for you and you couples or families or whatever you would like to do in that. So if you stand with me, and what we're going to do is we're going to come get the communion, go grab the elements, grab the cup, grab the bread, take it back to your seat, and then we'll take it all together as a family.
2: accepted. You were condemned. And I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again.
0: For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, he took bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Eat in remembrance of me. And as we take the bread, we're remembering the broken body of Jesus. And communion, taking communion is not just on on a Sunday with church. You can take communion as a couple in the morning. It's every time we take the bread and the cup, we're remembering the gospel. We're remembering what Jesus did for us, and it's a, a physical, sacred reminder of what He did for us. Let's take the bread. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's the new covenant, guys. The old covenant was filled with the blood of animals and sacrifices and all these things that pointed to the sacrifice of all sacrifices in God's Son. <clears throat> and in that song, you were forsaken. God, Jesus wasn't forsaken by His Father. He was forsaken by us, by humanity. And He did that for us knowing that He was going to give us eternal life through His submission to death and entering this new covenant with us. Let's take the cup. Lord, there are no words that we can come up with to say thank You enough. You created us. You redeemed us. And You sustain us. May we... Your people live in humble, a humble posture before you as our creator. May we live in a grateful posture for, you, for your goodness to us and redeeming us. And may we live in faith, hope, and love as you sustain us through this life, the hope that we have because of you. Lord, have every area of our lives how we thank act and speak transform us into the likeness of your one and only son we praise you thank you in jesus name amen